Father, in this service, I ask that you would bring about the obedience of faith among these Gentiles and any Jews in our midst. I pray, O oh God, that the nations represented here would believe and that we would hear your voice calling, come over into Macedonia, help them. Come over to Guinea, help them. Come over to Kazakhstan and Uzbekistan and Mongolia, Russia. Come to India. Come to Jordan. Come to Oman. Come to the United Arab Emirates. Come to Tanzania and Guinea and Cameroon and Liberia and Ivory Coast. Come to South America. Come to China, Japan. Penetrate the impossible. North Korea, Cuba, Vietnam, Saudi Arabia. Iraq, Lord, deliver an irresistible word now, I pray, concerning the completion of the Great Commission for the glory of your name, for the good of the nations, for the satisfaction of our own sacrificing souls, I pray, in Jesus' name, amen. This chapter 15 in the book of Romans is probably in the New Testament the most rich, missions-laden chapter of all. There are dozens of points I could make with regard to world evangelization from this chapter. So I'm going to limit myself strictly because of time to five. They all begin with W or they have a word in them with W and I said to the children in the first hour now give me your attention and write them down because I want over lunch today there to be a quiz and a re-preaching of the sermon so I'll say this now most of the kids are not here but if there are kids do that and adults parents friends roommates you do it the reason is simply this I have a double purpose in this. One is to build in our church a united vision of world missions. We are a mission-driven church in many ways, and there are reasons for that. And yet we have a lot of new people who come who have never heard us articulate those reasons, and so over and over, year after year, we must come back to some of the basics and say, Here's what world missions is. Here's why it is so crucial. Here's what we do when we get involved in it and how we do it. Here's your place in it and so on. That's one side of my purpose. A united vision for this local church so with one heart and one mind we can go for the nations. The other is your homes, your dormitory rooms, your families that there there's a united vision and, and there's an ideal way to do it today over lunch and that is you've got five W's that sum up this vision and at lunch if you say let's see if we can remember the five W's that Pastor John mentioned and you say one and then you you unpack it with what you remember from the text and from this message and you build a family vision for missions you build a family vision for what you're in the world for. So there's not just some thing you hear once a year out there at church, but it's one of the constituent elements of the moral vision of this house. 
Do you have a moral, spiritual, global vision, dads, for your families? Okay? That's my other point of wrestling to find W's for the each of these points. And one of them was really hard to find a W for. So I'll get your help on it when we get to it. It's the last one. I'm not really into big strings of dust W's and S's in my preaching, but this morning I am. Number one, the Word, W, Word, the Word of God is the foundation of world missions. The Word of God is the foundation of world missions. Now, I'll show you in the text where I'm getting that. Verse 15 of Romans 15. But I have written very boldly to you on some points, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God. So Paul says, coming to the end of his 16 chapter long epistle, I have written to you. In fact, I've written boldly to you. Up to this point, 15 chapters of theology and doctrine. Think back over the last two years here, right? We're up to Romans 5, 3 for next Sunday. So it's taken us not quite two years to move through these first four chapters. And what have we seen? We've seen the great glory of God in chapter 1. We've seen the horrible condition of everybody in the world who's suppressing the truth, even though they have it being displayed to them from the heavens. And we see this glorious unpacking of the only hope of the universe, justification before a holy God by faith alone, apart from works of the law. And he's taken chapter after chapter to unpack this glorious message of salvation. Now... Connect that verse 15 and this letter all about these weighty things with verses 23 to 24 here in Romans 15. But now with no further place for me in these regions, and since I have had for many years a longing to come to you, whenever I go to Spain, for I hope to see you in passing and to be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. Now think about that for a moment. This letter is being sent on ahead of Paul to Rome. He's never been there. And he's saying at the end of the letter, now, I'm coming to you and I want you to be helpers in my mission to Spain. Antioch has been my base of operations as I have canvassed the whole area in missions from Jerusalem up to Illyricum, which is Albania. And now I want a new base of operations, Rome, as I canvass the whole territory all over through Spain. Would you be that for me? Now connect that with verse 15. I have written very boldly to you on some points. And think of this letter, whatever else it is, as a missionary support letter, which is what it is. Now step back for a moment and imagine you're on the missions committee here at Bethlehem. You have a very important, significant missions committee. They manage a half a million dollars a year, and they're good stewards of it. So uh, they get a letter, or I say I get the phone call, and uh, somebody I don't know from Adam says, uh, God has put it on my wife's heart and mine and our kids to go to an unreached people in northern India, and we know you've got a heart for the unreached people. Would you join our support team and, and send us on on our way, along with some other churches that we have? Now, what would you say? We'd say, well, I don't know you, 
but we're open and we're willing to listen. And so why don't you write us a letter and I'll pass it on. Why don't you address it to, to Kurt Swanson, director of missions, and he'll lay it before the missions committee and they'll pray about it and, and we'll get back to you. Now, if that happened, what would you write? Romans, right? You write Romans or something like that. That's what Paul did. Now, the point is this. When you're trying to mobilize people for missions and you want to build a mission, you do it on the basis of the doctrine of justification by faith and all the other glorious truths that are coming in the book of Romans. You don't just write about your kids and write about your call and write about your anthropology and your missiology and your blah, blah, blah. You write about doctrine. You write about God. You write about salvation. You write about sin. You write about the lostness of the world. You write about the cross. You write about the resurrection. You write about the Holy Spirit. You write about the church. You write about the second coming. What are you taking to these people? Your ideas or some nifty little way of doing development or something? You tell me about your gospel. Tell me about your doctrine if you want to be supported by this church. That's the point. So point one is... Missions at Bethlehem, and it ought to be everywhere, is built on a foundation of the Word of God. We don't have anything to say to the world from ourselves. The only use that we can be to the world is to be a pipeline from God to them by means of His Word, the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation. And that's what we want for them. We want them to know God and love God and enjoy God forever and ever and ever and escape judgment and escape hell. That doesn't happen by me or any missionary in this church. That happens by the word of God, which leads to point number two. Namely, that world missions is the work of God. There's your second W, work. The work of God. It, now, of's, of's are ambiguous. Right? So I have to explain what I mean by work of God. I mean God does it. God does this work. He doesn't do it without missionaries. He doesn't do it without the gospel of Jesus Christ. He doesn't run ahead of missionaries and save people and they wonder, oh, what am I supposed to believe? And then yay, later, maybe or maybe not, Jesus in the gospel shows up. He moves with the gospel, but it is through the gospel and through missionaries that he does the work of missions. Now, let me show you where I get this in this text. That's Paul's main burden in this text, I do believe. The main thing he has to say, because I see it in four different places, not just one. Let me point them out to you. Number one, the word grace in verse 15 and 16. It says, but I have written very boldly to you on some points so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given to me from God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the nations, to the Gentiles. So where does this ministry come from? Where does missions come from? It came from grace. Grace was given to Paul, it saved him, it called him, it fit him, it sent him, it sustains him, and it gets the job done. Grace. This is God's work, this mission. Here's the second place I see it. Look at verse 16. 
It says that this priestly work that Paul is doing, this missions work, is like the work of a priest. And he's out there gathering an offering to offer up to God. Who fits? Who fits the offering so that it is acceptable to God? Who does that? Let's read the verse. In the middle of verse 16, ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, now here's how, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Paul doesn't do that. You can't make anybody holy. Missionaries do not make people holy. This point is a burden lifter, missionary. This is a burden lifter this morning. I'm trying to take off an undue burden from any of you who stay and any of you who go that the, the work of conversion and the work of sanctification is the work of God. And you can happily now know that what you're being called to wear is a light burden and an easy yoke. You obey, you say what ought to be said, you suffer perhaps, you stick it out and you be there and you show love and you say the gospel, but you don't save anybody and you don't change anybody. God saves, God changes, and that's real clear from verse 16. I see it again in verse 18. It even gets clearer, doesn't it? I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Couldn't be any clearer, could it? I won't speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. I don't do it. He does it through me, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed. So what do we want in missions? We want the obedience of the Gentiles to the living God. How does it come about? Christ does it. Christ brings it about. Paul wouldn't dare, he said, to speak of anything in his missionary labor besides what Christ has wrought through him. So we are simply channels. We open our mouths, we say the gospel, we serve people, we love people, we lay down our lives for the cause of the gospel, but we save nobody, we sanctify nobody, and we don't get anybody to obey. If we do, they're not saved. You remember how Paul came to Corinth and he said, I I wanted to preach in the demonstration of the spirit and power so that their faith might not be in the wisdom of man, but in the power of God. There's a way to do missions that can get people to depend on you. And there's a way to do missions that will point them to God. And the way to do missions is the latter, not the former. Here's the last place I see this point. Verse 19. He said that his ministry proceeded in the power of signs and wonders, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So there's the fourth time. Four times he makes it very plain. God does the work of missions through missionaries. But lighten your load because you do not bear the responsibility God does to change hearts. I remember the story at Urbana 67, where my fiance and I went, and 15,000 students were there, and John Alexander, then president of InterVarsity, stood up and got onto the topic of predestination in this big 15,000 person student gathering. And he said, when I was a student, 
I said in my arrogance, if I believed the doctrine of predestination, I wouldn't be a missionary. Why do missions if God's predestined people? And he got real quiet. The whole place was just like it is in here now. Quiet. And he looked and he said, after 20 years of missionary service in Pakistan and other hard places, I say, if there's no doctrine of predestination, I'd never be a missionary. Meaning, you slog it out for 20 years against the hardness of the human heart. And if you think you, by your free will ministry, can change their free will hardness, you got another thought coming. Because the only way this Muslim world, this Hindu world with its 700 million gods and the hardness of the proud American secular world is going to be changed by you, you've got another thing coming. God's got to do this work. This is God's sovereign, almighty, heart-changing work. He takes out a heart of stone. He puts in a heart of flesh. And you bow down and say, grace, grace. Grace. I'll go anywhere to be a minister of this grace. You do the work, God. I was down in Wheaton Monday, um, last week sometime. And I spoke a couple of times and I got to listen to some really good messages. One of them was by David Wells at the Reformation and Revival um, Conference. He's a professor at Gordon-Conwell. And he, he unfolded for us 1 Corinthians 3, verses 1 to 7. Most powerful thing I've heard from my own life in many a year. And uh, here are the key verses, and you can see why it's so relevant to this point. Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Verse 7, so then neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything but God who gives the growth. It was a message on church growth. God grows his church. God grows his church. God grows his church here and God grows his church there or it isn't the church. A man can grow a church. Believe me, a man and music and rah-rah methods can grow a big assembly. But it isn't the church of the living God filled with the Holy Spirit and driven to save souls. It, it isn't the church of God. When the church grows, God grows the church. Some plant, some water. And they are collectively, compared to God, nothing. Those are Paul's words, not mine. Number one. The Word of God is the foundation of missions. Number two, missions is the work of God, meaning He does it decisively through us. Now here is number three. The aim of world missions is the worship of God. So the third W is worship. The reason the universe exists, the reason everybody in this room exists, is so that... The creatures of God might enjoy worshiping God forever and ever. That is why the universe was created. So that conscious, rational creatures of every color and every strata of society and every language might enjoy worshiping God forever and ever and ever. That is why the world exists. Now, look at verse 16 again. 
I want us to see this from the text, that the goal of missions is worship. He says that grace was given to him from God at the end of verse 15 and then verse 16 to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles, ministering as a priest. So he's got this this metaphor going here, this analogy with the Old Testament priesthood. Ministering as a priest the gospel of God so that my offering to God, my offering of the Gentiles may become acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Now, what is that? What's going on here? He's going out there. The gospel is the, the medium of his ministry as a priest. And he's trying to, to prepare an offering like the priests would prepare an offering, a lamb or a, or, or meal or a dove or some oil. Prepare an offering to offer it to God. As worship. Is that what's going on here? The offering of the Gentiles to God? Chapter 12, verse 1. You have the same kind of vocabulary here. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. So yes, that's what he's about here. He wants the obedience of the Gentiles so that the Gentiles will offer their bodies to God, acceptable, transformed by the Holy Spirit, so that it will be a fitting worship to God. So missions is all about the ingathering of worshipers for the living God. That's why we were made. That's why the nations were made. But you don't have to leave this chapter to get this. You don't have to go to chapter 12. Just back up with me to verse 9. It's so clear here. In fact, it's amazingly clear what Paul does in verse 9 to 11 here. He, he gives the purpose of the incarnation, which is a missionary purpose and a worship purpose. And then he, as though he's being carried away, he just gives a string of quotations from the Psalms and Isaiah in order to show that worship is what it's all about. So look at verse 9. He's talking about why Christ became a servant to the circumcision, why he became a Jew, why he was incarnated, why did the Son of God become man? And, and at the end, or near the end of the verse, in the middle there, he says, For the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. There's the purpose of the incarnation. Christ, the first paradigm missionary, foreign missionary, cross-cultural missionary from heaven to earth, is as far a leap as you can make. He comes for this purpose, so that the nations, the Gentiles, might glorify God for his mercy. It's all about the glory of God, it's all about worship, and it's all about receiving mercy. We get the mercy, he gets the glory. You see that? Then, look what he does. End of verse 9, on into verse 11. As it is written... He can't stop himself from giving biblical support and warrant and explication from the Old Testament. As it is written, therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. Again, he says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles and all the peoples. Praise him. Now, what in the world? Why did he, why did he get carried away like that? It's because Christ came for worship. He came for worship. The world exists for worship. The universe exists for worship. You were created to worship. That is, to enjoy. Did you see the words rejoice there in verse 10? Rejoice, O Gentiles. That's the same as worship if you're doing it in God. My whole theology is in these verses that we glorify God by our gladness in Him. 
Be glad in God and He gets glory from your gladness. Be glad in booze and booze gets glory. Be glad in sex and sex gets glory. Be glad in TV and TV gets glory. Be glad in God and God gets glory. And therefore, you don't have to choose between glorifying God and being a glad person. In fact, if you try to choose, you will be unhappy and dishonor God at the same time. It's all about worship. Point number four. The way to do world missions, there's my fourth W word, way. The way to do world missions is to go to unreached peoples. To go to unreached peoples. A little child came up to me last year during our missions fest or afterwards and said, Is peoples a word? (laughs) Which I thought was a very good question. Um, people is already plural. What are you doing putting an S on the end of it? Right? Is it a word? Well, look at verse 11. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Let all the peoples praise him. Gentiles and peoples are parallel there, right? Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, you nations. Let all the peoples praise him. There it is, up on that banner. You see the fourth pillar there? Spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things for the joy of all peoples. That's not a typo. The S on the end there carries a freight train of missions thinking. Took us a year and a half to craft that statement, and there's not a letter out of place. We did redo the banner because there was a letter out of place, but now there's no letter out of place up there. Oh, what a difference in a church an S can make. So what do we mean? What's the point here? That the way to do world missions is to go to unreached peoples. Not people only. Now here's where I'm getting this point. Look at verses 19 to 23. We'll start at the end of verse 19 to show you this all-important point of Paul's thinking and strategy. So that from Jerusalem and around about as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel. Now, literally there it is. I have fulfilled the gospel. From Jerusalem to Illyricum, I have preached fully the gospel of Christ. Now, let's get our geography here, because this is stunning. You know where Jerusalem is. It's in the news. So, southern Palestine. So, if you... Okay. Southern Palestine, and uh, up through Jordan and Syria and Turkey, across the Isthmus, where my son is today in Istanbul, meeting with the Conquerites, down through uh, Philippi, Thessalonica, Corinth, Athens, and then up the western coast of Greece to Albania, which is Illyric. You got that? That's a big territory. And Paul says, and this is almost incomprehensible, I'm finished here. There's nothing more for me to do. Let's keep reading. I want you to see that clearly. Verse 20. Thus I aspired to preach the gospel, not where Christ was already named, so that I would not build on another man's foundation. Now drop to verse 23. 23. But now, with no further place for me in these regions, I'm going to Spain. 
No further place for me to do work in these regions. What in the world could he possibly mean? There are tens of thousands of unbelievers left in the environs of Ephesus and Troas and Asia, Bithynia, Cappadocia, in and around Antioch, in and around Thessalonica, in and around Philippi, in and around Corinth and Athens. He didn't get but about five converts in Athens. Good grief. What in the world does he mean his work is finished in this area, right? I mean, that's a good question to ask. There's no room for me here. And here's the answer. Paul has a passion to do missions, not evangelism. Now, in this church, you will never hear me say, unless I really make a bad slip, we're all missionaries. I know that's the kind of language you hear all over the place. You'll never hear it coming out of my mouth. Because if everybody's a missionary, you know what happens? The Manica get forgotten. The Sukumu get forgotten. The Kazakhs get forgotten. The Uzbeks get forgotten. The, the Hausa get forgotten. Thousands of people groups unreached, get forgotten because I'm a missionary to downtown Minneapolis. Baloney, you are not a missionary to downtown Minneapolis. You are an evangelist. Because when Paul wrote to Timothy, whom he left behind in Ephesus when he was heading for Spain, he didn't take Timothy with him. He left him behind. He said, you finish the sentence, Timothy, do the work of an... Good. Not a missionary. Do the work of an evangelist. I'm going to do the work of a missionary in Spain because there's no church in Spain. There's a big thriving church in Ephesus. You stay there. You work hard. Evangelize the whole of Asia Minor because I'm leaving because my job is to plant churches among unreached peoples. That's missions, folks. That's frontier missions. Maybe we better be careful. Let's call it frontier missions, okay? There are other kinds of missions that cross cultures and languages and so on. But let's call this frontier missions. And I stress it because Paul is stressing it. There is burning in this man's heart to preach the gospel where Christ is not named and to plant the church in Spain where nobody evidently is there. And my goal this morning, one of them, is that some Paul-type missionaries are simply overwhelmed with this thought. We got lots of Timothy-type missionaries. We got lots of evangelists. And we got some wonderful Paul-type missionaries. And my word that I delivered to Tom here and to Kurt and to the missions committee is, when you have to make a choice in this half million dollars that you divvy up between going to a reached place and mobilizing us for an unreached people, my vote will go every time to the unreached people. Here's the reason for that. There just aren't many churches sounding this note. Most churches, and this is good, this is good, are thrilled if they can have a mission to Mexico or a mission to uh, Spain or, or the Muslims in England or, or whatever, which itself would be probably an unreached people group, depending on the group. But very few churches sound the note of there are remaining unreached peoples all through the 1040 window, who have no church accessible. So we get all excited about our local ministries of, you know, care for the homeless and care for crisis pregnancy and care for those on drugs and care for the unemployed and care for those on AIDS and think that our hearts are big when in fact there are people groups of tens of thousands of people who don't even have the foundations for beginning such a ministry among their people who are ten times worse off than anybody in this in this city. You see, you get the point, the difference? 
There's not, I don't think, I think we got over this about 15 years ago in this church. There's not classes of, of people here. Like evangelists to downtown are second rate and missionaries to the unreached peoples are first rate. These two commands stand side by side in the Bible. We can't choose here. You don't say, oh, I'm going to do the one and be disobedient to the other. No, no, that's not going to work. All of us here are called to do the work of evangelism. Some of us here are called to do the work of missions, which means crossing a culture usually, crossing a language usually, and usually crossing geography, but not necessarily because the Somali people, for example, are right here in our midst, a totally unreached meaning. They don't have their own indigenous church able to evangelize their own people. And therefore, the work among the Somali is going up, in our priorities here and right under me here in the choir room they're talking about that right now so don't think geography mainly think peoples oh what a difference an S can make in the life of a church and in the life of world missions thank you God for Ralph Winter who struck the bell in 1974 and confronted the whole western missions movement with its blind spot concerning this matter because we all thought We've got Christians in every one of the 212 countries in the world. And he just meekly said, oh, there are about 18,000 unreached people groups in all those countries. And nobody is emphasizing them because we think we're talking geography. And we think that if the church is planted in this tribe, that 15 miles away, a language group with hostilities to this tribe has no church. We think, oh, we get Christians in the country. It takes foreign missionaries to go 15 miles to speak another language and another culture over a mountain range in Papua New Guinea, perhaps. You get it? Are you getting it? If somebody doesn't emphasize unreached peoples, it won't happen. And this is the why, this is the reason I elevate it so high. You can finish the Great Commission. Evangelism will never be finished. We will evangelize our city until Jesus comes because there's no promise everybody's going to get saved. But there is a promise all the nations slash peoples will be reached. It's going to happen. Matthew 24, 14. This gospel of the kingdom will be preached throughout the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, peoples, and then the end will come. And it isn't going to happen before it happens. You can finish that. Evangelism never ends. Missions will end. And as soon as it is over, and I don't know this for sure, but very soon, probably, Jesus is going to come. And so every one of the first Tuesdays of this year, we have prayed, come, Lord Jesus, hasten the day, which means fill in everything that has to happen in this time frame in order to get obstacles out of the way to your coming. So that's my fourth W. Quickly, the last one. This is the one I couldn't do. Let me get your help on this last W before I tell you what mine is. Uh, I'll give you the verse. Look at verse 24. Paul says, I hope to see you in passing and be helped on my way there by you when I have first enjoyed your company for a while. I hope to see you in passing and be helped, be sent, be helped on my way. You get the picture? We've already said it. Let me say it again. Antioch of Syria was the base of operations for the missionary journeys throughout the east. Now he's going to go to Spain, and he wants to establish Rome as a sending base, he wants to mobilize them and have them send him. 
And what's clear as a bell from that verse is everybody is not supposed to go. Clear as a bell, right? He's telling them, don't go with me. It's what he says and doesn't say that's so important here. And what he doesn't say is this. Everybody who's obedient in Rome when I get there will join my missionary party and we'll all go to Spain and leave Rome empty. It, he just doesn't ever think that way. Nor does he think that way in this church. I am not calling everybody to be a missionary. It would be disobedient in this church if everybody became a missionary, I believe. The salt would disappear in many places around this city. Now, my point here... I gotta have a W for this, so you can do the quiz at lunch today, is this. God calls for some to be blank of the mission who watch over it from home. And I chose the word wardens. Not very good, is it? <laughs> Although it, it works, you know, it just works a little bit. Whatever you want to use, Watchkeepers, um, weight bearers was another one because William Carey used this wonderful image for Andrew Fuller. Andrew Fuller sent William Carey out 40 years in India, never came home, no email, no quick airmail, letters take six months, and all that time until he died, Andrew Fuller held the rope. And Carrie called him his rope holder. And the image was that uh, there's a cliff. And there are cliff dwellers down here. They have no access up here to the gospel plains. And we're just so rich in England with churches. And, and he says, let me down. Let me down with the rope around me over the cliff. And you hold the rope. And I'll minister to the cliff dwellers down below. And 40 years he hangs in that rope and plods and plods. And India today has a very strong, powerful church in many places because of William Carey's faithfulness. But Andrew Fuller held the rope. So rope holder. If I was doing R's, I'd do rope holder. But I'm not doing R's, I'm doing W. And so weight bearer is what one person said. But you get the message. And that's my, my last point. God is not calling everybody in this room to go overseas. He's not calling everybody in this room to cross a culture. But he's calling everybody in this room to do two things. Either go or warden, send, or hold a rope, or bear the weight. Now we're going to close with um, an appeal for some of you to come up here and stand across the front for prayer. And I want to tell you now who I want to come, and then we're going to pray for you, and uh, then we're going to close. Number one, I, I, I prayed and I just said, Lord, would you just direct me, please, as to what you might be doing over these recent weeks and months in people's lives that uh, would need to have uh, prayer fan their flame so that I could invite them to come and get prayer. Here's the first thing I thought of. Years ago, some of you were quickened and awakened, perhaps as a child or teenager, or young adult, to the cause of missions in your life. And the, and the flame went... Poof. And it's been out for years. And something has happened recently. And it's, it's a little spark again. And you're not sure what that means, but you would like me to breathe on it with prayer to see if it would into a, a flame of new commitment. So that's the first category of person I want to come and stand here. Here's the second category. Uh, you believe that God is drawing you toward 
missions short term or long term and you're not yet connected with the nurture program here or some support group here. In other words, I'm putting that little qualification on the end because I don't want the same 190 people to come up that came up last year. Some of them might because of a new work of God, but there's no point in having the same 190 people walk up here every year. I'm saying if God has nudged you, quickened you, awakened you, caused you to think, yes, in my future somewhere, there is going to be uh, short-term or long-term missions, and I'm not connected with a group or with the nurture program here that can help me get to where I think God might be leading me and pray for me and hold me accountable, and I'd like to get connected. The third category of person is this. Those who in recent months or weeks have been moved from a possibly a vocation and a lifetime in missions to a probably a vocation and a lifetime in missions. You've moved from a possibly to a probably and your coming would mean, would you pray for me that if it's God's will, it would become a certainty. Lord Jesus, across this front now, there are several dozen people who right now are on different uh, brinks, different cliff edges of life decision. And I want to bless those decisions. I want, oh God, for the Holy Spirit to have complete, full sway in their lives. And so come, Holy Spirit, come. Clean out worldliness, clean out fear, clean out greed, clean out anxieties, clean out distractions, and let your clear word hit these folks. The Apostle Paul confirmed his call by quoting Isaiah 52.15 about your word going to those who'd never seen and those understanding who'd never heard. And so I pray that your word would be the confirmation, Lord, of a call on their lives as well. Lord, from those who are on the very brink of the first awakening to those who are moving from a possibly to a probably to a yes work to bring them further along. And Lord, for those standing here in the audience with hands lifted as senders and blessers and weight bearers and rope holders, oh God, give us a vision. Help us to buy that book, read that book, pray those prayers, send that money, get on a plane and go to nourish and encourage the missionaries. Oh, make us good at it, Lord, for the sake of the nations. And so now the Lord bless you. Lord, bless where you are. The Lord keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you in your missionary dreams. The Lord lift up His countenance upon you and make everything light in these days. And all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed.